Yeah, you, the smart and sassy transhuman checking us out. Crank it. You're listening to Trans Talk Raw. I'm the long-haired hippie chick in heels, Nikki Marie Dawn, and I'm with my co-host, the Alabama blonde belle, Terry Ellen. We're a couple of trans survivors, rocking the airways, bringing you our lived experiences, opinions, and a ton of info about being transgender. This is episode 31, and it's our second interview of the season, and this one is with the lovely Allie from Mobile, Alabama. This lady has gone through a lot so far in her transition. She has had to deal with a very conservative family with religious beliefs that makes her story very interesting and will be relatable to many. Well, I should zip the yapper up and let Allie tell us her story. cat thing going on the whole time meowing going on the whole time we have things that come on like where Rhett comes on and decides to throw his two cents worth in come stripesing across the screen and yeah exactly right so he's asleep at the moment too but yeah bound to waken at some point that's actually kind of weird because my cat just all cats all just decided decided to quieten down for a minute because they were all singing before you came on Allie they were oh god yeah they were oh I know that sound very well Yes. So anyway, this is Trans Talk Raw. We are in our second interview uh, of our uh, series and season. We're already up to this is number 31 already, episode 31. We seem to be just flying through this stuff. But then we're getting quite the catalog. We are getting quite the catalog. And Mm -hmm. uh, we have a wonderful guest with us this evening. I've had the opportunity to talk to her a couple of times. Well, one time anyway. Looking forward to talking to her again um, in some of the support groups and stuff like that. So, um, Allie, welcome to the show. Yay. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We're so happy you're here. I'm really happy to be here. Well, that's great. Well, you know, awesome so, to have you on. Awesome to have you yeah, on. Yes. You know, I think uh, uh, Terry and I have wanted to have you on for a while, actually. It's mm-hmm. not like this is just something that came out of the blue, but uh, we, we were hoping that you would come yes. on. Now we're yes, so we've, we've been planning this. So, yeah, so. <laughs> Hiding behind my back. <laughs> well, yes, in a very good way. <laughs> for my benefit, sure, you can always do that. I will never complain. <laughs> awesome. So, um, Ali, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself yes. and your story, and uh, we'll go from there. Let her rip, girl. Sure. The floor sure. is yours. Yes. And the ceiling and the walls and everything else. <laughs> it's your. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm Ali. I'm uh, a transgender woman, 37 years old. I, like Terry, am from the Mobile area. Uh, actually, met Terry in one of my first uh, ventures outside of my house as myself. Um, that, was a, that was a special day. And you know, I've gone to those meetings since then and, and um, gotten a little bit more out of my shell and figured out more who I am. Uh, I am one of the types of trans people who didn't know when they were young. I didn't start openly and directly and like honestly with myself questioning my gender until I was 30 years old. Looking back, I can see all these experimentation that I had, you know, uh, there, there were signs, so many signs. Sometimes I feel kind of dense for never really noticing them, but the, the reality is I did notice them. I just pushed them away because it was too scary to think about. It was something I couldn't let be true. Um, so, uh, I, I kept it at bay until, um, when I was 30 and I was engaged to a very wonderful person who I knew would accept me no matter what. 
And that was like the first time in my life that I was in an environment where I could be different in, in that kind of way and in, in other kinds of ways too. And I wouldn't be alone. You know, I wouldn't be an outcast, um, which was kind of my experience growing up. You know, I was on the outside of the social groups. I was bullied. Um, I had a, a lot of friends when I was really young and the older I got, the fewer friends I had as I was more and more strange compared to the other kids, the other boys <laughs> in particular. Um, other as, as if I was one, I was not, that's the whole problem. But, um, you know, when I was finally able to start questioning and experimenting, I played with uh, some like gender fluid and bi-gender identities for a while something that was safe where maybe I wouldn't have to transition, but I could still have this in my life, just mm -hmm. in this secluded part of it that no one else ever needed to know about. Um, that didn't work. <laughs> it was it was kind of nice at first, but it took a lot of energy to get there because I was, you know, I was pre-NAHRT. There was just so much you had to do just shaving was so hard because you have so much hair and it's so mm -hmm. thick uh, and then you know when you get all done up and you look at yourself in the mirror you know it's if it wasn't dark I couldn't I couldn't do it it just mm -hmm. it felt awful um but it would feel fine when I wasn't looking in the mirror you know if I just looked down <laughs> if I just kind of felt, you know, the hair that I was wearing and, and the clothes that I had on and um, that sort of thing. It got worse and worse. Um, my depression got worse. I've been suicidally depressed since I was 11. I thought about it a lot. I've never attempted it, but I got to the point where I knew I was going to. It was just a question of when and how. I was debating over which way I was going to end my life. And that's when I went to see a therapist, uh, someone who specialized in this. I had talked to a therapist about it before, but she wasn't really a specialist. She couldn't really help me with it. She just encouraged me to experiment. At uh, this time, I went to someone who had some experience in this specifically that was actively working with trans girls. I went to her with my doubts and my insecurities about it, my questions, and she um, walked me through self-discovery helped me to figure out who I was. The, the thing that finally broke through the walls was a, a letter she had me write to my child self uh, as a girl. Because if, if I wasn't trans, that would have been awkward. It would have been difficult, you know, it wouldn't have been right. I sat down and in half an hour, I hand wrote something like four and a half pages. Wow. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That, that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, big bells, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. So that was that was the final moment that said, this is this is me uh, in the end of the letter. Even before I had accepted still, I had actually promised the little girl that she wasn't going to have to stay in her cage forever. Um, when I actually read the letter out to my therapist and she heard that part and, uh, and I finished, <laughs> She, uh, she was very, very careful. She didn't want to tell me who I was, didn't want to give me the answers. But after hearing that, she just kind of had this very expressionless face and said, okay, what's next? 
<laughs> you're like, what the fuck? What do you mean? <laughs> what else do I need? Right. <laughs> here it is right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went home and cried harder than I've ever cried before. Uh, and I'm um, just like bawling in the shower, falling on my knees, kind of full racks, kind of sobbing. Mm-hmm. And uh, a week later, I was on HRT. Wow. Well, that's, that's it was so- awesome to have you. It was for you to come to the support group meeting and meet you and be with you on this journey and watch you just blossom. Oh my God. It's been such a privilege and an honor to be with you on this journey, Allie. It's just been. Just, I'm so lucky we had this group here. You just, you, I, I never imagined that there was anything like that in this area. You know, I was sure I was going to be alone. And then I found it. I was probably a year in before I went to my first meeting a year in the HRT, but um, I'm so glad I did, and I wish I had gone sooner. Well, you know, all the woody shoulda couldldas don't get you anywhere. Oh, you know, I've talked about that. So, uh, you know, that's the future matters. What you do from here out—that's yeah, what matters. That's, you can't. None of us can change the past. But you know, when you you talking about your your past and as a child and stuff, do you remember specific things back then that now you go, okay, yeah. Why didn't I clue in on that at the time? Absolutely. Um, Some of my earliest memories were uh, one of my favorite toys when I was two or three years old, and it was a little baby doll. Interestingly, its outfit was blue, pink, and white. (laughs) 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 But uh, I remember just that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. No no flags at all. No no warning flags. Nothing at all. No. I carried this doll with me everywhere. Uh, I loved it so much. And my dad hated this toy. My mom bought it for me. Uh, she had wanted a girl. Surprise. Um, and uh, I could tell that my dad didn't like it. So I kept trying to fix that. I would, I would go up to him with the, the doll and ask him to kiss the baby. Uh, you know, anything to kind of like create this more positive interaction with it. That just made it worse, <laughs> made yes. him a lot matter. And I, I distinctly remember putting the doll away when I was, I don't know, three or four years old. One of my earliest memories. Some of the others, they told me, cause I didn't remember when I was two and I said that to my, to my dad, you know. Um, but I remember putting it away and feeling like, I don't know why I have to do this. I don't know why this is wrong, but it is. And that makes me really sad. And that was the very first step on locking myself away. Yeah. And I would do that more and more and more with every year that passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very strong religious upbringing. It was evangelical, very conservative. Five days a week, religious school, plus Sunday uh, church, same, same denomination for both. And um, with my personality type, I took to it really well. You know, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I'm somebody who wants to know what the rules are so I can follow them, or at least that's who I have been. That's changing, but- um, Codependent. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Um, and you know, every child has some bit of that, mm-hmm. oh, wanting yeah. to be a good child and have mm-hmm. the approval of their parents. I Make took mom and daddy happy. Dream. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I took to the religion very well. And um, one of the ways that that 
interfaced with me being trans was um, when I saw all of this imagery of angels. I just loved angels. Here they were both the embodiment of good, right? And they were also always depicted as either beautiful androgynous people or gorgeous feathery women in these, you know, flowy gowns and bright colors and um, wings. <laughs> absolutely. Just loved that imagery. And so I got this idea in my head that if I could live as near a perfect a life as a human who wasn't Jesus could do, then after I was dead, I might be rewarded by being made into an angel. And so uh, I, that, that idea got in my head around age five. So I started living to die pretty soon. Wow. wow. Part, part of that religion was, um, you know, that your body is not really you, that it's mm -hmm. this external vessel that's temporary and mired in sin and something shameful, ultimately. So, um, so that clicked with me. <laughs> so, and, and, th and that kind of helped me to separate from it and depersonalize. It's also a lot of why I didn't figure out who I was for so long. Yeah, right. lock yeah. it away, depersonalize. Yeah, and I love that angel. Not me, you know. Terminology, because I think that's awesome. I happen to have a set of wings, so uh, I, that really goes close to my heart too. It's on that side of the, the wings and all of that. It has a very internal meaning for me. So Ali, let me ask you how, um, once you started to progress through and you started to realize that around five years old in that, do you know, how did you start to progress from there? Like, so you've got obviously your father that's very much against, as I start to understand it, very much against all of this. And yet, you know, you haven't talked about your mom too much as to how she was responding to it. So kind of fill us in a bit on the family dynamics from like five until about maybe 10 or something like that. How did that go down? So I had a, uh, an older brother who was 13 years older than me. So um, by the time I was that old, he was already in this kind of teenage phase and there was that antagonism going on. And something that I learned from watching those interactions was that you do not try to enjoy something that is not for you. Uh, the way that it came out most strongly in his case was uh, if he would get caught looking over his shoulder at, to look at the television where my brother and I had our cartoons on, then he would get humiliated aggressively oh. um, by our mother. And um, I saw that as, oh, you're doing a bad thing and getting punished for it. I don't want to do that. I don't want that to happen to me. So I started to, when I started to realize that certain things were for boys and certain things were for girls mm -hmm. at age five or six or so, yeah. I avoided them completely. Mm -hmm. I looked at them with longing, like when the commercials for, for toys and cartoons would come on, but I didn't, I didn't embrace them. I didn't participate in them. I, I pushed that all away. I had some friends who were girls when I was that young and they were my best friends. Mm -hmm. But I also had was friends with the neighborhood boys and we'd go outside and play. And, you know, when my age was in the single digits, that was okay. You know, I could do that. By the time I got to around age 10 or 11, I really stopped enjoying that. And I, I went more toward video games. Video games became my escape pretty early on. Mm -hmm. uh, that was something where I could go to another world. I could not be myself. I could be whatever other person. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was my solace. 
and that also helped with my depersonalizing. I was already doing that for religious reasons and then video games kind of right. took that to the next level. Yeah. It was your escape. Yeah, it was. How did it had you know the way to deal with the pain and you know, even though you weren't quite sure who you were, you you wanted to escape trying to figure that out and just don't want to deal with it, run away. Yeah. yeah I, I, I always that. felt different. You know, I felt outcast and I, I took it as um there was a flaw with me that I just couldn't figure out how to be properly social. I was, everything I tried, wanted to do instinctively was always incorrect. And I had to be corrected Mm. and shown the right way to do everything. And um, I adapted to that, you know, I I built this persona entirely based off of copying what the people who weren't being humiliated were doing. And what people told me when I did something wrong. And this, you know, beyond- where I was doing it for, for this reason, but I was doing it. Right. Beyond the age of five, did your mother and father really kind of push you, be more guy, be more male, just really? Not aggressively. Um, One thing that kind of helped with this was, um, you know, I was advanced in age in school and I was always making very good grades. So I fit really nicely into this nerd archetype. So they were very comfortable pushing me scholastically and you know, having me be a part of that community and culture, uh, believing it would make me more s- uh, successful later in life. You know, I could be the first kid in our family to go to college and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sort of thing. So your dad didn't push you towards sports. You know, sometimes uh, parents, especially dads, will push a gender neutral boy or even a feminine boy toward push, you know, toward sports, trying to man them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that wasn't really an aggressive push on trying to make me more masculine. I did play baseball for a lot of years, um, but I mean, they could tell that it's just athletics weren't my thing, and uh, and they accepted that. You know, my dad wasn't overbearing. He was he was always pretty gentle and quiet. He just he would disapprove from kind of a distance with something if if it was too feminine. When it was young, it was those toys. Then there was nothing for a long time for him to really disapprove of. Uh, and then when I uh, went into high school, um, I got out of the private school. I was allowed to grow my hair out. Uh, the school didn't have rules against it. So I grew long hair. And he hated that, but I did it anyway, and they let me do it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you say about the long hair, because that was one of the, my uh, safeguards was the long hair, right? And I had it for so long. So once you started, like, and so it's very interesting, you know, I hear you talk about, um, you know, having all of these different things that are really showing that you're a woman, everything that you say. And, and yet in turn, you say that you didn't, you know, you look back on it now and you say, okay, well, I see all of those things, but you didn't really see it at that point in time when you were growing up, right? Um, so once you started to get into like junior high and high school, how did, how did that interaction go? Obviously, you say that you didn't have a lot of friends and stuff and that and you were kind of more, you know, into your video games and that sort of thing. And I'm sure you were like everybody else. Uh, I always used to pick the female characters and like hop them up really good and, you know, all of that sort of stuff when when video games did come out. Um, you started to grow your hair out. Did you Do you think you did that psychologically for the fact of that you knew that you were female inside and you just really wanted to grow your hair out? Or was there some sort of a dynamic to that that you're not telling us? No, no question. That was it. But I had layers and layers of excuses for every single thing I did. 
Uh, for the hair, I was also into heavy metal music. And one of the good friends that I did have at the time was also growing his hair out. He got me into the music scene. So it was pretty easy to just be like, I'm being like my friends and being like the musicians that I enjoy. Just a metal head. You're just another metal head. That's right. Please ignore the fact that I uh, wash my hair twice a day and and brush it very carefully and like to look cute in the mirror when I'm seeing it. None of that's actually happening. You know, it's just, oh, well, I've got long hair. What can I do? Right, yeah. (laughs) I take care of it. Got long hair. Got to take care of it. Exactly. Just because it's really silky and shiny and... (laughs) Yeah, and it looks nice. Yeah, yeah. Did you exactly. did you try to um, distance yourself socially in high school? Was that well, an issue at all? It wasn't hard. <laughs> I was socially distanced on my own. Uh, probably less so than in middle school, though. Because uh, uh, in high school there were more kids. There was like a, you know, um, different levels of classes that you were in. So I was mm. I tended to be around a lot of people who also fell in kind of nerd and outcast categories. So I did make some more friends. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, but uh, I, I still didn't do anything social except for with you know one or two friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all video games at that point. You know, I was in my teenage years, the same time that video games were starting to grow up, right. and you could play as women in games. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case when I was younger, but it was the case then, and that's what I ran to. And you know, layers of excuses, you know. Oh, I'm picking these characters in fighting games because I prefer their more agile fighting style. Nice. You know, I'm I'm playing these characters in role playing games because I've always had to play the guy rescuing the girl. So this is an interesting change. That's all it is. Right, different dynamic. Don't want to be stereotyped at all. Not at all. What What about church at this time? Growing your hair out in high school, did you get? big pushback were you still involved a good bit in church you said before you'd gone or like five days a week and then of course on Sunday was the long hair an issue there were pastors or youth group pastors giving you any kind of issues they weren't but I had largely withdrawn from church by that point um we had stopped going on Sundays prior to me leaving the school you know my parents figured well you're already there five days a week you don't really need to be doing this that much you know another day a week um, and we didn't really start it back up once I had left that school and, and entered high school. So uh, my own internal religion kind of started switching over more toward like a non-denominational type just as a result of that. Uh, but I did have very strongly internalized homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, transmisogyny, the whole set, the whole suite of things that you get from evangelical, uh, m- many evangelical faiths. I got them all. And that was really complicated dealing with as a teenager because mm-hmm. I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. And the way that I dealt with that was it felt like it was something that was reinforcing what they were teaching me in the church. I could be attracted to girls and that was accepted. That was encouraged. That was normal. That was fine. Yeah. If I felt attraction to a guy, that's temptation. That's Going to hell. Yeah. Exactly. So burn. I can resist those and choose to be straight, exactly like they said I could. Doesn't work if you're not bisexual, but I happen to be. So to me, that kind of reinforced their entire worldview about LGBTQIA identities. Uh, And so I also internalized that about trans identities. Uh, I never thought that I was a girl because I didn't think that was possible. That just wasn't a thing. And people who thought that it was were um, either, you know, seduced by temptation or mentally ill 
that was or possessed. I got the possession thing. So did you get possessed? Oh, <laughs> I don't think I was actually possessed, but I was. I was told that I had a friend who told my pastor that he thought I was possessed. Oh gosh, that's crazy. Hey. Yeah. Fortunately, he didn't agree, and you know, didn't do an exorcism on me. So that was, that was nice. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah. So your battle with religion, and especially when I start to hear you say that you were pulling out of kind of the religious space sort of side of it, when you finally started to realize who you internally were. So what age was that at, Ali? When did you start to finally say, you know what, I'm different, and guess what, I'm kind of accepting. And I know you talked that you said that you went to a therapist first, but did you get any inkling prior to that time of seeing the therapist and that you started to run that through your brain and started to move. What was that like for you? Yeah. So I was 30 then and um, I was still playing female characters in video games as much as I could in my life. I had been alone for most of my twenties or in like really strange long distance relationships and other weird things. Um, I didn't have anything really like real in my life Mm -hmm. until I met, my current partner. We met when I was uh, 28. And um, you know, two years later, we were engaged and living together. And suddenly I was pulled into real, the real world. <laughs> I couldn't just escape 24 seven because that's what I was doing. I went to work. I work right. in computers because that's a logic world. There's no bodies there. It's just mm-hmm. thought. I thought of myself as a logical person. You know, I remembered locking away my emotions intentionally as a teenager. Um, and I, locked, I remember locking away masculinity, too. I remember thinking about it and saying, this is, you know, total bullshit. All of these things that, you know, they expect boys and men to have to be. These gender roles are stupid. I used a pretty standard feminist explanation for it and just mm-hmm. said, oh, well, it's just bad gender roles. It's not that I'm anything weird or different. It's the rules that are the problem. Right. Um, but then when I was, when I was 30 and, and in this relationship, you know, we talked about it. You know, why do I do this? And all of those old excuses stopped working. Mm -hmm. They were clearly nonsense. It was easy to lie to myself because I could just choose not to think about it. But when I had to explain it to someone that I'm this intimately close to, you just, you can't tell that kind of lie. So, um... At the same time, I had been reading some other stories from people online. Uh, You know, I had moved past being uh, homophobic. Uh, I was no longer religious. I was leaving those ideas of of sin behind, but I still didn't really come to understand trans people until my late 20s when I started reading some stories on uh, some online communities I was a part of. And I started seeing a lot of myself in those stories. What what made you search for those? those specific did you search for specific transgender stories or it just came up in stuff you were reading it it came up in some other conversations that i was having in the community about you know um like women's representation in games and you know you why do we like this and you know some people saying oh well it's you know male gaze it's like this lust object you're chasing and i'm like that doesn't sit right with me yeah autogenophilia yeah (laughs) sort of But it's like, you know, I'm not like, I don't want to be with this video game character. So why do I care so much about modeling the appearance and (laughs) all of that? And it kind of came up and somebody said, you might want to go read this, this over here. (laughs) And they directed me over there and I did. And that was the first time that I ever came across a story about trans people that wasn't 
I knew when I was four. I had body dysmorphia when right. I was four. I told my parents at the youngest age. That's the only way I knew about it until I was like 28, 29 years old. And, and hearing those other stories and that they were like mine, you know, that gave mm -hmm. me a, well, it gave me an identity crisis, actually. Mm -hmm. um, You're like, oh, my I, God, that's, that's me kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I had a mental breakdown about it. I went on anxiety meds. It was, um, it was a rough period. Right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, what, the way you're brought up, and I think a lot of us are like that, too, is even we get that inkling when we're very, very young. And, you know, in your case, you're playing with dolls at a very, very young age and everything else. And then you take all of that and you throw it down and you hide it and you stick the box on it and you lock it. And you lock it and put it in the corner and it's over there and I'm not going to deal with it. Right. And so psychologically, you just try to bury that, even though consciously you don't want to really face that. So you bury that and then you kind of move forward with it. So you said that you're a very... Um, you know, um, away from society, basically throughout your twenties and that sort of thing. So, give us a little bit of uh, you know, kind of an understanding as to what you went through in your twenties, like from that, like you know, coming out of high school to then, you know, to college, yeah, and that sort of thing. How did how did that progress for you in that area? And you said you had some rough go of it there. Yeah, I mean, it was this. It's a pretty constant state of melancholy. Uh, I was um, when I when I graduated college, I went straight into my career programming. So I did that for eight, nine hours a day. Then I would go home and I would get online and I would either chat or play video games. And that was my entire life. Uh, you know, I would have a, a game night on Saturday with, with friends where we'd play tabletop games. That was my only social outing until I was like 26. Um, when I was 26, um, I kind of started ramping up the masculinity because I was getting this sense that the reason my life was so miserable was because I wasn't meeting these standards for how to be a man. Right. And that's why people didn't want to be around me. That's why I couldn't get into a relationship. So um, I pursued some really toxic stuff. I mean, I was already a pretty toxic person just from my background, from the ideas that were instilled in me and the bitterness that I was carrying that I didn't really even know the source of other than just some generic like, Oh, I was bullied. So that, that's, right. that's it. Yeah. Um, the toxic era was pretty rough. Uh, uh, some people may be familiar with this online subcommunity of a uh, pickup artists. Mm -hmm. It's pretty gross. And I immersed myself in that thinking that this was going to be my key to changing who I was. It made things much worse. Uh, you know, it was slightly better at first because I had hope, you know, I was in this suicidal depressive funk and then there was this idea, oh, I can make myself better and I'll have a better life if I can do that. And I just went in the opposite way <laughs> where I should have been going. Uh, and um, mm -hmm. so I had a couple years of, you know, going out to clubs with a friend and, and um, not really having a good time of it. Right. Just um, trying to force myself to have a good time of it. Yeah, trying to live that fake life really is what it is. I mean, we all do it. It's amazing. It's amazing you're here. 
Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's funny when I hear I hear your talk because it's very similar to some of the stuff that I've gone through in my life and going mm-hmm. through. Yeah, you you that. did some of that, Nikki. Early. I did. Yeah, I mean, I, I I looked at drugs, I looked at alcohol, and I tried to immerse myself in all of that kind of shit. Which obviously, you know, like you and in, in your situation, you kind of realize that oh shit, uh, this isn't really the right way to go, right? So it's time to now pull yeah, back, from that, no, right? Time, um, time, time to figure out the root cause, and luckily, yeah. well, you know, you you got there. Yeah, and, you got there. And, and that's the thing. And I mean, you know, um, we, we hear about it more and more as individuals, uh, you know, in our community that don't know that they're trans at an early age, right? But they do. Yeah, it's, it's more common than you think. The whole, yeah, is, exactly. I knew when I was four years old, that's that's yeah. kind of a small subset, really. But that that's the, you know. Yeah. Um, but when we talk about that, because it, it and it's interesting, too, is um, we all, though, everybody that we talked to though, that says that they come out later in life and they didn't really realize it. Like you had said, there was a ton of stuff back then that was the big <laughs> flags and flying around and all that kind of thing, right? Like, you know, just that, as you said, uh, you know, having that doll was such yeah. an important thing in your life at that time. And, you know. Many of us did not put two and two together. No. And I, we were young, you know, I, when I, I was young, I would like to brush my mother's hair. I yeah. didn't understand why I liked it, but I liked it. And my therapist was like, well, most little boys don't like to do that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, ding, 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 you know. Yeah, and, and, and the same with me too, right? Like I had this cousin when I was younger and my mom would just shake her head. But like when we would go over to my uncle's place, my cousin had this beautiful long blonde hair down to her butt, right? And my mom would always check up on us to see what we were doing. And what am I doing? I'm combing it and I'm braiding it and everything else. And I'm like eight or nine years old. And she's looking at me just going, just shaking her head, right? Um, you know, so and, and at that age, you don't know. You're not in puberty. You have no idea about sexuality. You have no idea about anything else. You just follow in your heart what you feel is right or what's what you're comfortable with and that. Yeah. You know, and you don't understand why your parents are telling you no and that you can't right. do this. I was very aware of boy-girl demarcation like you were young. It's like, okay, I can't yeah, do that. Separation. I can do this over here. No, I don't understand why I can't do that. But I know I can't because, well, just mom and daddy not are happy and we want to please mom and daddy. So, yeah, I understand that. And I didn't, I didn't know when I was that age that I was a girl. I just knew I wasn't like the other boys. You know, and just tried to fit in and never really did having friends and stuff. Yeah. Yep, yep. The only two things I ever allowed myself were the video games and my hair. That was it. You know, uh, I, I grew it down to the bottom of my shoulder blades by the time I was in college. You and Nikki. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I couldn't have hair below my ears. I would just get ragged all the hell and back, and just you need a haircut. You need a haircut. Yeah. That was the fortunate thing you said that you were into um, the metal side of it and all of that, which gave you that excuse to be able to do it. And I, of course, I grew up in the seventies, and that was like total rock and roll, and everybody had long hair. So I've actually had my hair since I was like. Well, I don't know, 14, 15 when I started to grow it out. And then it was just, that was it. It was like that all the time. And that was like my safety blanket. Exactly. It was my lifeline until I was like 20, 21 years old. Why'd you cut it then? It began receding and thinning on top. And I, um, I couldn't stand the thought of being in my 20s and having long hair and just this empty 
you know, going backward area in, in the front. I, 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 something about that just viscerally shook me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't identify what it was about it. I just thought, well, aesthetically, that's just not my thing. So I'll look better if I just shave it all the way down. Right. So after class one day, I, uh, I drove to Walmart. I went into the salon at Walmart and I sat down at the chair and uh, the lady asked me what I would like. And I said, um, number zero to the entire head, please. And she was behind me. She came around in front of me with the widest eyes I have ever seen. She said, are you sure? Yeah, this was the last time that I heard that inner voice inside of me for, it would be the last time for a decade. But I heard that, that girl inside and she was screaming just over and over again. No, no, don't do it. Mm. And um, I said, yes. Mm. And uh, I don't really remember much of it except for a conversation between the two ladies that were working there about um, they were going to use the the cut locks for weaves, for their weaves. Right. And uh, that made me kind of happy. It gave me this, yeah. this sense that it's, yeah. it's not uh, just- Another girl would get to have your hair. Yeah, for sure. God, when you're telling me that story, I just, I feel like I have a knife in me when you say this. I'm just like shook like you are. And I can tell you're shook when you're talking about mm-hmm. this. And Ali, I am with you all the way. God, I could feel your pain when you were talking. Oh, God, yes, yes. It's, it's not know. nice to make us tear up now. <laughs> we try not to do that on the show, but like, I mean, you know, uh, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, hard to hear it. Oh, it's just it the pain, the pain. Like you said, I mean, the, the real kicker was, you know, you're, you said, like, the girl was screaming on the inside, and you just basically you went dead at that point. If I'm, if I, if I could say it that way, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly how it was. You know, she showed me a mirror when she was done, and I don't remember looking in it. I don't remember what I looked like. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing it, but not processing it. I don't remember driving home. I just remember getting home because um, one thing I never did really was spend time in my room, except when I was studying. The, all of the entertainment stuff was out in the, the common areas of the house. And my room was painted blue. So I just was never really comfortable in there. Yeah. But I went into my room and I closed the door, which I also mm-hmm. never did. And I climbed on the bed and I just lay there and cried. Oh, were, were you living with your mom and dad at that point, or did you have your own? Yeah, family? I was. I commuted to college. Yeah. What What did they? What did they say? Yeah. Say anything to you, or just? I mean, that's a radical change to go that's from really long hair to. Yeah. I I think I had told them I was doing it and and why, and so um, I think they were probably relieved. But um, you know, they didn't know I was having that kind of reaction to it. You know, I was not someone who cried. Uh, that's that was my first real cry as anything other than a small child and the first time I ever cried about my appearance and I, I wouldn't do that again for another 10 years right 
Wow. Wow. That's, uh, wow. yeah. So you held all of that in internally for 10 years mm. and then tried to push it out in different directions of rebellion. Brutal. It's, it's brutal. It's basically, yeah, it is. It's totally brutal. But I can see from the internals, you know, um, you, you talked about suicide in that. And I mean, um, you said that you never would do it. Right. And I mean, in my cases, I thought about suicide all the time. Um, it was just one of those things. It's why I went to drugs. It's why I went to alcohol. It's why I did all of that. I mean, I can, you know, in, and so when you, when you look at that, what made you decide to hold on and not go through with it? So in the earlier years, it was, um, there was a whole lot of fear because part of their religious upbringing was that that was a, uh, unforgivable sin because you mm-hmm. didn't have time to ask forgiveness after you did it. That's right. You can ask for forgiveness once you kill yourself. And that was like this weird thing because the the subdenomination I was in also said that if you get saved, then you're saved, period, and you will go to heaven when you die. So nobody really had an answer for this, and I think they just didn't want to answer it because they didn't want to give anybody an excuse to kill themselves, you know. Um, But I was afraid of that. You know, I was like, you know, however painful this is, it's a temporary pain, and if I can just endure it, then one day I'll be able to be me. I'll be able to be happy. It'll just be after I'm dead. Right. Later in my life, that um, didn't work anymore. Um, yeah. For me, it was like the worst sin was not to do anything about it. That right. you knew what could fix this and not to do, then it becomes a passive suicide. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm, while I'm not religious today, I can still, you know, flip into that mindset. Mm-hmm. I always will be able to. Mm-hmm. It was just such a part of mm-hmm. my life. Yeah. And I do take a lot of, of um, I don't know if I, I really connect with the story of Jonah. Okay. With this, yes, Jonah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you you can run from who you are mm-hmm. for as long as as you want and try to live the easy life where things are given to you and you don't have to face all this external shit that we have to face now. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, who you are and who you're supposed to be will catch up with you. And you will get dragged back, whether it's in a, yeah. a giant yeah. fish. Kicking or- and screaming at times. Yeah, that, that yeah. was me. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jonah, really, the story of Jonah really resonated with me of, you know, felt like God wanted me to do this. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Can't make me do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? Um, obviously, I'm not religious. I'm very spirit. I'm spiritual in a lot of ways, but more from a universal perspective, as most people know. So I don't look at it from the religious side of it or that. But I really believe that the path was set out, and there was a reason for it. I still believe that. That you know, that's why we're here. That's why we are who we are. Um, you know, we're set forth. Yeah, to- reason for it, whatever it may be. And you know what? We may not ever find out why. But we do know there was a reason for it. And, you know, um, so it, I, I, I really feel for you, Ali, because I see so much in you that is kind of like in me. And I think it's in a lot of the girls that are out there, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sense of, you know, yeah. fear of everything. And, you Your know, story is more common than you think. Yeah, it is. And I want to commend you for being able to come out as early as you did, because at least then, you didn't have to suffer and face so many of the other obstacles that many other girls do. So I really admire you for that and having the strength to be able to do that at a young age and being able to move forward. So And having a supportive partner. 
Yeah, that's a huge one. So beautiful individual, like this this, uh, amazing individual. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her and what she's like and where she comes from and what her background is too. So they're they're they and them, right? Uh, She, they. Oh, she, they. Okay, she, they. Okay, just so we know. Got to get the pronouns right. Sorry. (laughs) You get to take your pick uh, right now at least. Uh, No further notice. (laughs) Just wanted to ask. Yeah, Yeah. we have to make sure we do nowadays. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, uh, to to do too much of telling someone else's story, but you know, w- when we met, we were yeah, relation to your story. Yeah, relation to your place. story. I don't mean to yeah. get this gets a whole biography, but just how it affected you and why. Yeah, um, we we were both, you know, pretty hurt when we met. So we found a lot of solace in each other, but it was also I was still toxic. So it was a lot of. Uh, um, there was a lot of things that we had to kind of fight through and, and work through. So we've been doing, you know, therapy from, from pretty early on, both individually and couples. And that's wow. helped both of us. That's one of the things that helped me to start asking questions about myself. That was one of the elements that pulled me into my real life was, was going through that process. Um, but um, it's been every single bit of it has been so worth it. It's, it's, I wouldn't be here doing this if I wasn't with them. Right. Which, which I, I needed that safe place to explore. That's awesome that you yeah. had that support uh, and what a wonderful partner you have. Yeah, for to sure. To have the understanding of that. That's just amazing. Really yeah. is. I think uh, a lot of us would be very envious, actually. I know I'm envious, yes. It's all at the same time because I think you're such a you know a lucky individual to have found somebody that's yeah, like to, to get that brass ring on this little yeah. merry-go-round is mm-hmm. yeah a blessing, lucky, or whatever you want to call it, fortunate, destiny, fate. It's just yeah, cherish them, her. I'm, I'm very aware of you know how lucky I am to have her. And how, you know, how many other ways I've been so fortunate with this whole process, you know, um, ending up with so much support, both in my personal life, from my family, from my friends. And work. My workplace. Right. Which was a kind of a shocker. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a blue collar job in the South. And I know. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> um, it's been more than fine. I've, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me you know, because of, of doing this there. Mm-hmm. And it's just been great. Um, I have some degree, at least, of passing privilege. Um, oh, God, yes. You got, yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, you don't even go down. And, and just cute as hell, passing privilege. Oh, my God. Yes, God. You remind me of a rocking chick back in the 70s. Like, you look amazing, Allie. I'm just Thank you so much. You look amazing. That's- that's still something that is so weird for me, you know, having 35 years of being this weird mm-hmm. looking outcast that couldn't get attention if I wanted it, but really didn't want it either to where things are today. I'm still trying to figure out how to handle it. Yeah. Now you're a hot <laughs> ass cute girl. Yeah, I know. This, this is so horrible. Dude. <laughs> yeah, it must be just difficult to live like that, you know? No, my God. I, I don't think I'll ever take any of this for granted. Not, not the partner that I have, not the, the life I'm able to live right now. It's still a weird dichotomy life, you know, mm-hmm. even though I'm full time now, 
there's still the times like, you know, this morning when I was getting ready before I had all this on mm-hmm. where I still saw the person that I've always him? Been. See him. Yeah. That, him. It will go away in time. You, the, you know, getting more fleeting, more fleeting. You only see you even without the wig and all that. You'll see you in the mirror. Yeah. Right. Well, I have to it will come. Yeah, it will come. And it's just a case of time. There's no question. So you have, you, you mentioned a couple things there that I find interesting that I'd like to follow up with you more on is one about your family. You say now that even though they were such a heavy religious based family that you are actually, you know, they accept you for who you are now. And, and that, how, do, how does that dynamic work now for you and your family? Yeah. So, um, so my, my brother and his wife were some of the first to know, and uh, they, although they have the same, or at least my brother has the same kind of background as me, um, he also is no longer in it. So uh, it was no problem for, for him. And, uh, and she in particular, I, I mean, she, did, she hasn't said this, but I have a strong suspicion that she started looking up stuff because, mm. you know, she was communicating with me almost like an expert within a few months of me telling them. Oh, that's, <laughs> awesome. that's, a, that's also wonderful to have somebody oh, who's, that's incredible. okay, you're actually looking up stuff and, and you want to yeah. know, and that, that is a sign of a true, somebody, an ally and a supporter. Oh, that sure. really yeah, is so, huge. So if my friends did that too, and it's just, how did I get so lucky? But mm-hmm. um, my parents were harder. Um, I knew it was not going to be easy for them. I saw it as like a 50-50 on whether I would still have parents. Mm-hmm. So I wrote them a letter um, and, um, and mailed it to them and uh, told my, my brother and, and his wife while the letter was in the mail uh, so that everybody would know around the same time. This was November of 2018. And uh, a couple days, two or three days after it arrived, I got a phone call. And it was not an easy phone call. Mm-mm. Um, I never are. The, the gist of it was that they were totally devastated, mm-hmm. but would support me no matter what. The first few months, the conversations had a lot of, oh, but what about this? And are you sure it's not just this? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. They tell you there were no signs when you yeah, were Yeah, you never showed signs of this. How could it be true? You're like, wait a moment. Uh, there was. And I'm like, well, what about these signs? And she was like, well, I liked to play with trucks when I was a little girl. And I'm like, that's okay. But this, there's a lot more that was going on. Here. Not the same thing. Okay. Right. And that, but that was confusing for me for a while. Because I was mm-hmm. like, how do I know? I'm just, you know, not a little bit effeminate guy. And that was um, something yeah. that I had to piece through. But I spent years doing that. And. They only had a couple months of, of yeah. knowing, so so I yeah I had that thrown at me too. It's like you've had all your life. Okay, um, it's it's not been pleasant. I I have been blamed for a year's worth of depression. Um, they oh, are nice. still side order of guilt comes with all this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. they are still uh, kneeling in mourning beside an empty grave that mm-hmm. they dug themselves. Mm-hmm. But. Yep. Um, but they are also very engaged with me. You know, they, they see it as they lost and gained a child, which I don't really grasp because we spend a, so much time talking about 
when I was young. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, this is obviously still me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, it's like, I have all these memories. I'm here. I'm yeah. still here. Right. I'm yeah. not a, another person suddenly. This has always been me. I was just mm-hmm. acting different in yeah. certain mm-hmm. superficial ways. But like this, you are you are now complete. Exactly. Or you were not. It's like trying to get that across to people. It's like, you just saw a facade, something I constructed right. to fit in. Now I'm whole. Why can't you love to hold me? Right. Exactly. And I spent the entire first year just talking to them about it, um, mm-hmm. you know, during our other conversations, but never presenting to them until around the time when I started to come to the meetings. And then I went there for the first time because I felt, okay, maybe I'm far enough along now. Maybe I can pull this right. off. It was yeah. a, a 2019 Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that last fall. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were cute as hell. Yeah, just like, yeah. Do you mean she's, she's, was, she's just gotten better. I'm sorry. She was cute as hell the first time she came. Forever. Um, you know, so, okay. So Christmas time, how did that go down with that first day that you walk in and it's like, hi guys. So, so they knew it was going to happen. Um, and, um, I was like just super shy and really nervous walking in. And my mom just kind of looked at me and she looked at me for several extremely long seconds and then said, um, well, you look cute, weird, but cute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, that's my whole aesthetic. So I guess it's working out. (laughs) Good. And she, she would tell me later that she was very relieved that I looked like a girl and looked good. And, um, that was mm-hmm. one of those like double-edged sort of comments. Yeah, yeah. You know, I knew that being accepted was because I had passing privilege mm-hmm. because I had spent so much time working so hard on my voice, on my makeup, right. waiting for HRT to take more effect before I would show them myself because mm-hmm. if I showed them too soon, they wouldn't accept it. Right. Makes sense. Yeah, there's that. It's like, can, you know, why do we need have to present a certain way and not all of us you know want to present for passing and that we just want to be women however we are and however we dress to be accepted that way and I think a lot of us go in or especially early on of like please please accept me don't I look nice aren't I pretty aren't I you know do I do I pass yeah see right. that passing thing drives me crazy too it so really you, does um you know overall <clears throat> where it's a sense of being it's not a sense of appearance and that's kind of the way i've always looked at it and of course fortunately you know i'm looking around the table right now uh, we're all very blessed uh in appearance and what we do and how we present and all of those kinds of things but it's i don't think it's something that's it's it's it shouldn't be the main focus of anything it should be what the no no, no. i mean i, I want to look like this yeah it's not but, really about passing for me it's just this yeah. how i want to present this is how i want to look and and right. have wanted to my whole life and now i finally get to do that you know and just fortunate enough that what i want and how i want to look is fits in with society standards whether there's a dovetailing of that perhaps i don't know but um uh, sadly enough that's the way society looks at things mm-hmm. 
right? Obviously, if you have that passing privilege, you're going to fit into society better. You're not going to have as many issues or situations or things that you have to deal with. And it's a safety issue with us. And it is a safety issue. And it yeah, is a safety issue. Very that's, much the, so. that's the other side of that coin. It's yeah. like pass better. You're not recognized. You don't draw attention. You don't, you don't have the people coming at you because you're seen as a man in a dress or a freak or whatever. And so you can have some anonymity. You know, I don't want to walk around with a T on my forehead or draped in a trans flag when I go to Walmart. I, I really wow. don't want that. So um, it does give a lot of buffer of safety. To it pass. Has a weird conflicting set of uh, experiences and emotions with it. When I was first starting out, I was so concerned about the safety aspect. Mm -hmm. And um, as I started to get more comfortable with that, then it started to be, okay, well, I'm kind of functioning as this liaison, which <laughs> is something that's been put on me just because I'm doing this in a place where almost everyone I know, I'm the first trans person that they know that they've known. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So I feel like, okay, I need to have their first experience be something that's very easy to click in, in the head so that then when the next person comes along who can't quite reach that level, it doesn't matter because they've already got the basic acceptance of trans people. Exactly. Yes. We, uh, we are a role models for those who come after us yeah. and to give a good experience for those who've never been around trans people not other than what they've seen in the news or read in a news article and to see us and that we don't have a third eye and we don't have horns poking out of our hair or a tail or you know and we look yeah. oh my god they just look like a normal you know man or woman whichever one yeah. you're transitioning to so I it's think, yeah i think we all go through that right i mean obviously mm -hmm. because i'm in construction too and i go out and i'm actually doing all of my own quoting so everybody that i meet is usually this is the first trans person I've ever met, right? And so when we talk about that, it's always like putting that best foot forward. And it's exactly that is I, I do it, you know, to allow people to learn who I am and what I'm about. And, I, and I'm not the type that's, and I want to make sure that I voice that. I mean, I've had conversations on the show before where we talk about heavy religious individuals that are meeting me for the first time because they want some work done. And yet in turn, I've had the response back by going, you know, and the one that I usually use is, you know, well, in, in this case, it was, uh, they said, well, we hope you don't hold it against us that we're Mormon. And I said, well, I hope you don't hold it against me that I'm trans. And everybody laughed their faces off and then you move forward, right? So there is that acceptance level out there, but it's it, you're putting your best foot forward. Um, society has stereotypes, and they, they read the articles and they see all of the bullshit that's out there and they look at, you know, and I'm going to use this as RuPaul's Drag Race and all of this other kind of stuff. They don't really realize what we are and who we are and how human we are and how real we are on the inside and all of this, right? Um, you know, so I, again, when we get back to that, that thing, it's like that internal thing. And I've always looked at it this way, like, why can't you accept me for who I am? Like, I'm the same person on the inside. I'm still loving. I'm still caring. I'm still, you know, uh, a person that wants to have you in my life. And I've lost all of my family because of it, right? Which is tough. But it is. And I just, I've moved on from it, right? But for to see you, Allie, go through this and have so much acceptance and so much all of that. So my yeah, it gets great, great hope. It is. It, it gets really, really amazing hope for those who come after you. 
and seeing your example and they see how people will treat you and they see the success you've had in coming out at work in a very red Southern conservative state in an industry that's very, very male dominated Mm -hmm. and to have the success and the acceptance that you have is just speaks volumes that those who are where you were and are scared to death and figuring it out and to see you do it. Uh, it's just an amazing success story. Just, yeah. yeah, one of the things that was fueling me early on to have the, I don't know but if strength is the right word, but giving me a motivation to be public was this idea that, okay, whatever I have to go through, I'll be making it easier for the people who come next so that they can have an easy time. Mm-hmm. I did not expect that I would be the person who would have the easy time because I'm following in your footsteps. I didn't think we were there yet. And yet here we are. Yes. And here we are. Yes. I mean, I am now who I wanted to talk to when I started, I, you know, couldn't find anybody. I didn't, you know, there was no group when I started my transition, there was one at the very beginning and it disbanded and went poof. And the only, only trans woman I knew of was uh, Jennifer Eastap. Who, who created Southern Transgender Alliance. And uh, she was just awesome talking to me early on and would listen to me and my fears and everything. She'll, she was my group. One, this one person was my group. And, uh, you know, I owe her just an amazing lot because she was the only transgender person I knew in real life. Mm-hmm. There was no group. No, I didn't know anybody else. And, it's, and so it's, now we have this this community of people here, and Jennifer, um, you know, she 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 got it going and and sort of kept it, and then started SDA, and then turned it over to me, and um, you know, I wanted to keep it going and build on what she had done, and it's just awesome to see all y'all and and be a community of transgender people and allies that someone can come and talk and be okay and. Sorry, it has given me a little sense of guilt <laughs> because I had the expectations of, of difficulty that haven't emerged. So the way I've been, yeah. uh, re, you know, redirecting that is just being more open. So, you know, I, I do go to, to Walmart with my nails painted in the trans flag colors, <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter because... No one knows what it means. So yeah, yeah most people don't. If they really, see the colors, it's difficult yeah. to be openly trans and also look a way that you feel comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not just yes. trying to pass anymore. Like that's not really interesting to me. I just want to be okay with how I look, mm-hmm. and that just happens to also pass. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a win-win. It's a you know, that's a nice win-win. Um, you know, I've encountered some trans women who purposely dress. To like draw attention yeah and then they get angry because they they drew attention it's like what do you expect how can you be angry over your dressing you're going to get attention going in to walmart and looking like that i, I don't understand your problem <laughs> obviously this must be what you want i don't know uh and then they get mad at you and uh, just trying to to help like if you don't want the attention Maybe not dress that way. That way, yeah. The thing is, I think what two things that were mentioned there that I find very interesting. So number one is, even though we once we start to connect with individuals and into groups and all of that sort of stuff, we actually realize, oh wow, there's a whole bunch of us out there. (laughs) This is awesome. 
I have heard it from multitudes of individuals that when they first come out, they have no idea that there's other people like them, or I've never met a trans person before, or, or anything like that, right? And then all of a sudden you meet that first trans person, and that relief that comes over you, it's like, oh, wow, there is other people like me, you know, and, and that. And uh, so that's very interesting. Um, the other one, you haven't mentioned uh, one, how your dad was with it. And number two, I'd really like to hear about uh, your workplace. Okay. Um, well, my dad's probably easier to talk about, be shorter. Um, you know, he's in his uh, 80s at this okay. point, a very, very quiet person. So we haven't really talked a lot about it one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I just hear from my mom that he struggles, that it's hard for him, but he's still very, uh, very doting when I'm around. And um, he said something really encouraging one day when my mom and I were talking and she has all these fears about how the neighbors are going to react. She's worried that people will like start mailing them death threats or something. Mm -hmm. uh, just all kinds of, you know, the worst stories that she hears, she assumes she's going to face it all. And my dad just spoke up and said that, you know, whatever comes that we would face it together and overcome it. And uh, that was the most direct thing that he said about the whole thing so far. Wow. Um, but other than that, it's just been, you know, he's just been there and kind of this, this quiet, just kind of trying to go along with it, I think. Right. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's, it's good. That yeah. It, it takes time. It really does. And, and being and, older generation, my mom and dad are in their eighties too. And it's, it's been really tough. Yeah. Them. yeah. It, it's funny. My dad, when I, well, he's, I guess because my parents knew all along kind of thing but uh you know when I came out full-time finally and, and I and I said you know and he was half blind and you know couldn't see me and all of that sort of stuff and dead naming me all over the place but he got the he got the free card right that's fine at that age guess what you want to say it that's fine I totally understand but, <laughs> you know but he that was the one thing that I always that has always stuck in my mind and of course he's passed now uh, was one thing out of his face, he just said, are you happy? And I said, yes. And he said, great. Now, dead name me, can you grab me a pop out of the fridge? <laughs> right? And that's how it went. And it was just like that and so smooth and everything and, and that. Um, you know, but that's, that's very powerful what he said. We'll just deal with that. And I think that is like massively powerful, even if he's very, very quiet on all of the other things, just to say that we'll just handle it when it comes, you know, and we're going to take care of it, whatever it goes. Yeah, he's, he's uh, not, not, not coming out. Does he, does he gender you correctly these days? Uh, he tries. Um, I guess he probably doesn't really end up using gendered terms and names very much when we're talking. So it's, it's not too common, but they both make a lot of mistakes. They make fewer mistakes when I'm sitting in front of them. Mm -hmm. or, you know when they're talking about me or if they're in the other room or something then it just kind of goes back to habit and I don't mind you know I understand yeah I give my mom and dad a lot of grace I'm not gonna yeah, you, you can't not they, they never gender me right and it's like okay yeah I'm not I'm not gonna hammer them on it yeah there's there's no sense at this point in time they're both 84 and yeah and all of my relatives were in their 90s so it's like gosh you know, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm the, you know, and I'm the second son to do this, so they had more than their share on their plate in yeah. life. So, yeah. 
and that's going to be tough. So Ali, the work, how is, what's all that about? Gosh, and you're in a big blue collar, so you sound very much like me on yeah. some ways too. Well. What, what is the industry you're in exactly? I yeah. can't remember. I'm in the steel industry. Steel, that's right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I do programming, both, uh, I do like database and web reporting systems, as well as line automation. SCADA and all that? Yeah. Not quite. No, you don't deal with the SCADA systems? No. Um, ours is like an internal system that's built off of Linux and C++. Mm, okay. uh, and I also do a lot of C-sharp uh, programming. That's so old school. It's it's pretty much just straight-up programming. Um, yeah, a lot of demand for COBOL right now, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. Because <laughs> you talk about that, and that's like I'm back in the 90s, all of a sudden, throwing back there, going C++ and everything. Oh, I'll, God, yeah. It's the uh, business programming. Anyway, we are interrupting you. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, you know, I, I was trying to decide, do I come out here or do I start looking for another job? Um, I thought I was going to have to have all of my – have you know resumes already in the mail mm -hmm. have interviews lined up before i came out so i would just be ready plan b mm -hmm. that's right yeah i gotta do it but um the problem was that i am um, i'm kind of impulsive so there was just a conversation i was having with my supervisor one day and i had been taking a lot of time off for appointments and right and uh just you know talking about that i was dealing with some stuff and um, he was just making it very clear that it was okay to talk about it. And if there was any way he could help, you know, from the work side that you know, he's all about giving professional lenience for things that are going on. So I just shrugged my shoulders and closed the door and told him. And um, he reacted. Good girl. It was, uh, it was incredible. It was like he had done this before or something he hadn't <laughs> no one has any well not no one most people there have no experience with this mm -mm. but they've been really really good about it I had a coming out plan of when it was going to be it was based around my uh, laser progress I couldn't stick to it yeah, went out the window <laughs> couldn't do it anymore um right and that's common that is so common Allie you have no idea yeah yeah mm -hmm going to work every day and pretending I'm someone else, trying to hide it, being mm -hmm. having in this back of my mind that people can already tell, people already know, they're just not saying anything. So right before uh, Thanksgiving break last year, I went to the HR director directly and sat in her office and told her. And mm -hmm. um, I felt confident to do that because that same year they were announcing a diversity initiative Oh, nice. Awesome. And it's a, it's a foreign-owned company, corporate also. So it's um, it's got a, a pretty healthy corporate um, uh, culture. It's a bit separate from the rough and tumble, you know, line crew culture mm -hmm. that we also have separately, kind of combining. It's an interesting mix of things there. Yeah. But I felt like that the company would probably back me up, mm -hmm. and they did. They've been really gracious, um, HR almost kind of like adopted me. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're new that is awesome. When you have HR's back, it's like, yeah, you know. Oh, our first one, oh, break you. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they uh, pretty much all of them friended me on Facebook and they've been following my, uh, you know, my progression and my pictures and just been so excited to do this. I can't imagine what it must be like professionally to be able to be a part of something that's yeah. not know, like that. Joyous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, I can understand, uh, you know, I can understand that 
given that they are people who are coming from this from a positive angle instead of a you know an, an angry or judgmental yeah. one oh, yeah and then they're happy for you and they want to help you and they want to make your transition good and you know they obviously value you as an employee and want to see you succeed in your transition oh no, my god that's awesome because we hear such bad things about the south and how what yeah. a bad place it is to be transgender yeah. how you know oh my god you need to be in oregon or new york or whatever and it's like mm, well not exactly <laughs> you know yeah, i get, I get that it. from people things have changed in the last five years because you know going there a lot i have heard slurs about trans people i've heard all the jokes um i've even heard people try to say the lgbt acronym and read out the t as transvestite you know just (laughs) people not really understanding anything about it until around the last five years when a lot more people are getting to know our story and what 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 you know who we are and why we are uh there's still why is still the question that gets asked a lot not to me directly but to some of the management team that I've come out to and talked about, they were really supportive. The whole management team was. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I mean, we're so rare. I mean, Mobile County has 400,000 people. So mm-hmm. if you think, you know, statistics are right. And there's 1% of us in the pop, there's only 4,000 of us. Yeah. And that's across all ages. Yeah. So it's amazing. We find each other <laughs> as few of us as there are. Yeah. You know? I, one of the things that I keep hearing from everybody, that a lot of people that I talk to, um, it's, uh, it's that they're terrified of the situation and coming out. Mm-hmm. It's a location where that might be, whether it be in London, England or, you know, rural communities in Scotland or, you know, the deep south in the U.S. Mm-hmm. or that's, wherever. That's common in every story. It, it is coming common out. in every story about being totally terrified and fearful. The thing that I find is that once people come out, it's all like, wow, it's nothing like I read on the web and it's nothing like I see on Twitter and it's nothing like I see, you know, other people discussing and talking. And I know there's still stories out there and people do go through some rough times, but- Oh yeah, that's very real. It is very real. Very real. But it's, I always try to say this on the show because I think it's so important that people do understand if you're coming out, trust me, you're going to be probably accepted by people and it's not so much the, the gun and bring out the gun and want to throw you up against the wall and all of that kind of thing. I think a lot of people are understanding and seeing that we are accepted as individuals on a, in a lot of ways and in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, both- and how we transition right. impacts that a lot because none of us transition by ourselves. You know, you're not transitioning by yourself, Allie, at work. You have a team, HR people, your coworkers. You know, I was really, really cognizant of all my coworkers' feelings, what they thought. I wanted to make it as easy on them as possible because by doing so, I made it easy on me. You know, when you're aware of everybody, it's not just about you. If you're coming about this, it's about me and you need to gender me correctly. And how dare you mess up one time if that's your attitude. You're going to have a really shitty transition. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's the old statement, right? It's we're transitioning, but we've had lots of time to get used to going into that transition. When we mm-hmm. come out, I always say everybody else is transitioning now. It's not yes, me. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Everybody you bring everybody else with you. Right? You know. And so let them, you know, give them the best experience that you possibly can. We, we put a lot on the, those, our families, our friends, when we transition and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't really get 
you know, getting upset with people over mistakes. I do get getting mm-hmm. upset over mistakes because it hurts. You know, it hurts every time. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe sometimes it just hurts at the wrong time and you lash mm-hmm. out. But, you know, I, I tried to make it really clear that there's nothing wrong with honest mistakes. I make honest yeah, mistakes. Exactly. I've almost walked yeah. into the men's restroom mm-hmm. three times yeah. since I came out full time mm-hmm. at work and then had a minor crisis about it. But <laughs> it was just a mistake. You know, it was habit, just the way I'm used to walking and my mind was somewhere else. Right. Yes. You know, yes. It's, it's not a problem, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of turn it into a little joke. You know, mm-hmm. my, my boss will uh, occasionally slip up and, you know, I won't get mad. I will just look at him with a smirk <laughs> and then he'll be like, oh yeah, ha ha, sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's when people do it intentionally but, and you know yeah. when somebody's doing it intentionally, that's totally different Yeah, there's no than a slip up or, you know, those are no big deal. Yeah. And that was made very clear. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that that's been handled by, you know, the the people who work there who aren't interested in, you know, going along with this is that they just don't use any name or pronouns for me at all. And I can, yeah. you know, I know specific people, almost departments that for whom that's the case. And I accept that because I can't change them. I can't change their minds. And they are at least doing, I guess the minimum to be professionally respectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to meet them where they are, you know, or oh, you like, could just refer to them in the same manner. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I do. I yeah, just, I'm, I'm moving yeah, toward I'm, that, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, well, you know, I follow the golden rule, and obviously this, since you're treating me this way, and you want to treat other people the way you want to be treated, so obviously you must be want to treat this way, and so I'll treat you that way. How's that? Yeah, yeah it's kind of, uh, I'm at this kind of tug of war with myself, like, should mm-hmm. I do that so that they're aware of how it sounds and feels, or should I keep on very explicitly naming and gendering them so it draws into very loud notice what they are not doing and um actually i think it it makes more of an impact when you do the same thing to them so that they understand the discomfort that it causes us it's like i just want you to have a taste not not vindictive just how are they doing it to you just put it back on them just so they understand what it's like and they won't like it either so um, we're pushing like a, almost an hour and a half on our interview now. Which oh, really? So Ali, before we end off, I, want, I have one final question for you. Um, you've gotten to as far as you have right now. You've gone through all of the battles and stages and everything else. And of course, obviously at work now and everything else. Where do you see, see your future going now? That's really you see yourself in 10 years. You know? <laughs> right. It's such a difficult question to answer because every single one of my expectations have just gone right out the window mm-hmm. every step of the way, mm-hmm. what I thought I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend some time really discovering who I am. I have so many layers still to pull off, yeah. uh, so many experiences to have. I'm just going to keep pushing outside the box and I'm going to see where that takes me. Cool. Well, that's awesome. actually, that's really a good answer because then I can come back and say, now we can have multiple shows with Allie on <laughs> to do all of these follow-ups. You'll be back for a second interview, honey. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then it's layer number two, layer number three. Kind of like Shrek. She has layers like an onion. Oh yeah, for sure. And I love it. So, so Allie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You've yes. Been it was amazing. simply awesome. Such a joy. Uh, you know, 
And I know for a fact we will have you back on the show again because I think there's still a lot more to explore and talk about. Um, we love your viewpoint mm-hmm. on everything. And, and uh, if your partner would like to join you, that would be yeah, awesome. I mean, that would be awesome if, if, you, if your partner is ever interested in doing that, to have that. Uh, that would be fantastic just to be able to get all of that. Because yeah. uh, we want to shine the light on, on those yeah. as well that are partners, spouses, yeah. significant others of us that are there for us and accept us and are supporting. Yeah, it's just we don't get to hear enough about them. That was one of the things in, in my transition. I wanted trying to find stuff for my wife and there's just so little, so very yeah. little. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, I want to thank you again so much, Ali, um, and that, and we're going to look forward to definitely having you back on the show again. Yes, ma'am. And uh, uh, we'll be talking to you this afternoon, I hope. Oh, I will definitely uh, be there. Thanks so much. This has been uh, just an absolute delight. Awesome. So glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, we'll definitely be seeing you this afternoon uh, again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll just continue on the conversation right. then and I'll just record everything anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that way too. Um, anyway, uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. This is Trans Talk Raw. We really appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. To us. Uh, any kind of feedback or anything that you can mm-hmm. give us. We always yeah. Drop us comments, questions. Yeah, you bet. If even if you have comments or questions uh, for Ali or stuff, you can get a hold of us. Yeah. And if you want to come on the show, be interviewed. We'd love to have you. Do you dare come on our show? <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good one. Have a great weekend. Okay. And, Bye, uh, y'all. Wherever you are, have an awesome time. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trans Talk Raw. This episode has been brought to you by transgenderlifecoaching.com. Please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Time for us girls to party. Join us again for our next episode of Trans Talk Raw.